0: Over the past few years, books have increasingly become an escape for me and I suspect for a lot of you. And so that's why I'm here making content right after yet another horrific incident in the United States of America. It is absolutely devastating the number of acts of terrorism that are going on in this world and I don't have anything astute to say about it So I hope to give everyone a little bit of an escape here to listen to our short story book club episode, a lovely short story about the end of the world. Welcome to your favorite book. All right. So Reina, welcome back to the show. Um, How have you been?
1: I've been good. I'm so happy to be back. It's been like over a year, I think, since yeah. I was on here. Um, I bring a different vibe this time. There's no, I mean, there's a lot of romantic relationships in this
0: short story, but there's no actual romance, I think. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, for everybody listening, I mean, if Reina's voice sounds familiar, that's because she was a guest on our show several months ago, I think over a year at this point, and mm-hmm. we were talking about Juliet, which was a uh, modern interpretation of Romeo and Juliet, mixed with some rom-com vibes, mixed with so many other different things, you know, a comfort read, and this story is anything but comfortable, so <laughs> very different vibes. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't I wouldn't call this this short story
0: comforting, especially especially right now. No. No, absolutely. And before we jump into it, uh Rana, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and about yourself as a reader?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um so I am an LA-based writer. Um I do a bunch of other things as well. Um I'm the executive director of a theater company in New York. That's new. Um and uh, I basically write whatever and I read a bunch of different things. Um, I veer mostly towards uh, young adult fantasy um, and uh, just like fantasy in general. So, so this short story um, is not usually something that I typically gravitate towards. Um, the short story is magical realism. Um, and I read it in college. I took an advanced fiction writing class and um, Cause I was an English major, which every Indian parent tells you not to do, <laughs> um, but, uh, but I did it anyways. Um, mm-hmm. and my professor wanted to focus on magical realism and I didn't really know that much about it. Um, and inventory was one of the stories that we read in class. I actually have my, my, um, the booklet that our professor gave us. So I'm reading it from that again. Uh, and uh, yeah, I hope I hope people enjoy it or at least um, find it intriguing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's 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 for sure. Before we jump in, I just had to say shout out to all the Indian English majors out here, mm. myself included. <laughs> um, except in my case, you know, my my parents couldn't even pull the whole, you know, this is an impractical thing because my mother also was an English major.
1: So. Oh, nice, ran yeah. in the family. Yeah, my mom's a doctor and my dad's an engineer. I had no hope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, look at you! You know, you're living that creative life. You are. Your bio has changed so much since I last heard you. You are now executive director. You are based in LA and you are doing theater in New York. I, I'm not even going to ask about the logistics of all of that, but that sounds wild. Lots of phone calls. That's <laughs> that's it. Lots of phone calls and emails and Slack. I love it. I absolutely love it. But um, so let's jump into the story here. So as you guys know from the title, we are reading Inventory by Carmen Maria Machado, um, this is a story from her collection, her body and other parties and I feel like you know the average reader you know you don't typically pick up a lot of short stories maybe you pick up a collection here and there but a standalone short story usually it takes something like class or some sort of experience to like read a standalone short story and then have it stick with you again I can totally see why this one stuck with you because who wow this this was a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Um, From the way that it's, uh, I guess, formatted to the content to just like reading this pre-pandemic in like 2018 Mm -hmm. as a college student and then remembering it. um, The reason why I chose this was I watched um, Don't Look Up. The Leonardo DiCaprio movie, where the world ends. Um, and um, and I was like, "Oh, I, well, I'm feeling very apocalyptic right now. Uh, <laughs> so i um, I picked this story because of that. and then, um and and then I remembered that it was about um this woman who who's like making a list of everything that of like various things she remembers, um, because the world is in this, like, catastrophic global pandemic which you know sounds very familiar um and and uh and no one knows what's going on and people are dying and countries aren't a thing anymore and it's just like it's just wild and this is like it felt like this was her way of um kind of reclaiming herself and her humanity and her story Mm -hmm. in a very like through the um physical relationships that she's had with various people. Um, and it was, it's just, yeah, it's just wild.
0: Yeah. You put that so well. Like (laughs) I, I, it's just like everything I wanted to touch on, you subbed up. Okay. Podcast over everybody. We finished. (laughs) But, um, as we always say for the short story episodes if you have not read the story we are spoiling absolutely everything here so pause the episode listen to the read the story then come back and listen it's not that long of a story it's certainly worth it link in the show notes okay having said all of that this story I adored the structure of it the idea mm-hmm. of and I kind of like to start from the craft level and then get into the content so the whole structure of the story being a series of these sexual encounters, you know, starting from the very beginning to the present day for this narrator Um, and and the way it's sort of anecdotalized into these encounters and the writing itself, it's really focusing on the loneliness and the alienation even before the pandemic sort of creeps in because Mm
1: -hmm. automatically
0: you're starting with this parallel structure, so to speak. Each sort of anecdote starts with, one woman, one man, two women and one man, you know, just the emphasis of the people that are present in these encounters. And it's just focused on this tiny little moments of intimacy or expected intimacy, but you're getting very little real connection with any of this. It's like you said, you know, there are encounters here, but you wouldn't call the majority of these romantic, you know, it's, they feel very dehumanizing. There are many breaches of consent here. There's not any emotional or physical satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And the language sort of highlights that, you know, you're focusing on these tiny details, but none of them really get at any kind of emotional resonance. It's all about just kind of setting a scene and you get the emphasis of this character just trying to remember and trying to justify her humanity to others as well as herself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I especially like, um, I guess just the difference in, because you can kind of tell how she felt about, um, each encounter and each person Mm -hmm. in the encounter. Um, like the one that cracks me up is one man, a boyfriend, didn't like condoms, asked me if I was on birth control, pulled out anyway, a terrible mess. And that was it. And that's like, like that relationship is just condensed into literally two lines on the page. Yeah. Um, whereas like someone else who like was a one night stand had like mm-hmm. an entire page or something. And it just it just showed the varying kinds of connections and how much emphasis this narrator has put into it. Um, Mm -hmm. And also just, like, what she remembers of it. Like, she's looking back on it now. And it's like, well, this one night stand was super memorable for these reasons. But this entire relationship was, eh, it's okay. This happened.
0: (laughs) Right. And there is this whole tone of it that feels very detached she is literally making lists she's taking mm-hmm. stock of kind of her life and there are these lists throughout you know the the actual structure of the story being an inventory of her partners um she makes lists within the lists and then at the very end there's that last kind of heartbreaking list she's listing basically every part of herself and every semblance of humanity because she's convinced at any moment she'll disappear mm-hmm. and you're just sort of living in those lists and i i I just was thinking, you know, it has you thinking a lot about legacy and what you're leaving behind, what humanity is leaving behind. You get that last couple devastating lines where, you know, the world will continue to turn without humans. Maybe it'll go a little faster. And, you know, just this one story, you're getting a microcosm of just the legacy of humanity on Earth with these tiny little lists. And the fact that she was able to do that is wild.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um I uh, reading this I, I don't know if we can say that we're this is like post pandemic. Right. Um, right. But I uh, I guess reading this post pandemic in the loosest form of that of that phrase um mm-hmm. was was wild cuz I remembered just like especially the first few months of The pandemic like April May 2020 when Mm -hmm. we were all at home um just like just the idea of going outside to meet friends who also haven't been outside in weeks Mm -hmm. was terrifying and there and like yet like we still craved it even though like we knew barely anything about COVID um yeah we didn't. We like. We were just guessing, and uh, honestly, hedging our bets about like if I go grocery shopping at this point in this time, and it's this mm-hmm. like there are this many people, and I have to wait in line for this long, like, w- and I'm like wearing one mask, so I'm wearing two masks, uh, mm-hmm. like how, what, what, like what is my likelihood of coming back with a potentially life threatening disease, um, and the 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 part of the story that I did, I like. I didn't really pay too much attention to when I read it in college, but like reading it now, um, I was like, Holy shit. Um, was, uh, the one woman brunette, a former CDC employee. And Mm -hmm. like, she, um, she like goes through the encounter and there was something that she, the, the, the woman said that was like, um, she like it was like she confessed to me that no one was having any luck developing a vaccine, but mm-hmm. the fucking thing is only passing through physical contact, she said, if people would just stay apart. and then she like stopped talking, even though like, like this and this was yeah. right after um they had had sex, and it was just like, like like the 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 craving of wanting human connection. Yeah, is so real in this. And like, it just, it just took me back to those early months when I was like, I don't want to see anybody, but I need to see someone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It really brings to mind the idea of you think your basic needs are like food, water, shelter, what have you, but you lose track of the need of affection and contact as a real need until you're deprived from it. Mm -hmm. And this story really is just showing us that slow deprivation of it. And even when you're taking these like meaningless, meager encounters, like they, they hold so much significance to her now that she's listing them out because she knows how few and far between they are now. And just how, just how the world has come apart and, Yeah, I kept thinking about this too. I mean, the fact that this was written pre-pandemic is wild. Like I had to keep reminding myself that this was pre-COVID-19. I wonder how the author felt like in the throes of the pandemic and being like, oh no, what did I do? Like, did I I, I birth this into being? I mean, the virus that she, she, it is a virus, but like Mm -hmm. the virus that she brings up is very different it's almost akin to like a a zombie apocalypse kind of thing where there are signs in the eyes and it feels very plague-like and it's decimating not that covid didn't decimate uh the world at large but decimated in like the complete disillusionment of society Mm -hmm. and like countries don't exist anymore things like that so a completely different level of devastation but the the little intimacy still felt so real and I feel like in 2017, you were like, oh, yeah, that sounds scary. And reading this now, it's like, oh, no. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was
1: it was a moment of, um, oh, wow, this like our reality could have been very similar to this. Yeah. If this was a different virus or if things or if just like any any semblance of of the universe was different
0: then like we could have been seriously fucked. (laughs) Right. Right. And I also want to bring attention to like the inventory that we choose to have here. You know, if you think mm-hmm. about the premise of this, you know, finding humanity in an increasingly isolated state, it could have been an inventory of many things. It could have been an inventory of friends she had made or like places she had been. You know, we could have seen similar anecdotes about anything, but she chooses sexual encounters. And yeah. I found myself thinking a lot about that choice because to me, that's what sold it to me is not only a justifying... Uh, myself to the world at large, but justifying my own humanity to myself because consistently these encounters are demoralizing, dehumanizing. Very few of these are like truly, you know, emotionally resonant, resonant or even pleasurable. That I mean, you can even you know put this into current context of the state of you know political things right now, and you're 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 thinking about all kinds of different breaches of consent and autonomy and all these questions just keep swirling around here. But do you think this would have been the same kind of story if she had inventoried anything else?
1: I don't think so. Um, I think, I, I also think it depends. I think you could have an inventory of everyone that she's ever been friends with or like, or like, I don't know, like, like teachers that she's had, which, which she, I think she lists at some point. Um mm-hmm yeah every teacher beginning with preschool like at the end of the story she's she makes a list of all of the list the list she's made Mm -hmm. um and that's one of them and I don't think any of the other things she talks about would have had the same effect because there's some there's something incredibly prime I mean I mean like sex is a very primal thing right Mm -hmm. and and that's like it's the it's The thing that we do biologically to continue our species. And I think reading this, knowing, like, with the idea that, like, this virus in this story has decimated the population so much that society as we know it no longer exists. And in a way, civilization that's been continued on and on generation through generation no longer exists um, and using sex as a way to make those lists and make that connection hits yeah. completely differently than if it's just about like mentor mentee relationships or like mm-hmm. like jobs that she's had. Um, like like all of that, I think I think there's even even if there's there's no love in a lot of these, it's this idea of like, I am a human being. and this is something that a lot of human beings, want and need to do. Um, and, and, and it's something that humans as a species need to do in order to continue the species. And it feels like, like when you take away physical contact, you take away the ability to, to continue to
0: live on. Mm. Um, good point. Thanks, I, I just thought of it. <laughs> I thought of it. Good point. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, you read through and kind of ruminate on the various, you know, elements of the list, the anecdotes, and you just see all the different purposes of sex in this story, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, at first, it's, you know, youthful discovery, so to speak. And then it's, um then it's taking risks. And then it's just pure pleasure. And then it's anger. And then I think the part that's really, Uh, The one I keep coming back to is one man six months later in my post-divorce haze, where they have sex after a funeral for all of his dead family. And Mm -hmm. it's just like this cacophony of things that you don't expect to go together. They're in an empty house where a whole family has died. And it's the most tragic thing. But in the end, everybody's just searching for some semblance of normal, some semblance of contact. And you can't. You're at the point where you're you're not faulting anyone for choices early on. I feel like it's there's a tendency to be like, oh, you're faulting people for having these interactions, or you're like, oh, you know, you don't need to have sex with this person. And then as things go on and things get more and more desperate, you truly feel like take connection wherever you can.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one that gets me is uh, gray eyes. The mm-hmm. one that she um, she has sex with for the first time, and then like years later mm-hmm. they they reconnect and she like it's and it's like like it's it, it 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 is pre-pandemic and during pandemic and and you i think with that experience it really felt like she was confronted with the reality of the world and her situation especially cuz um what is it uh oh she had just she had just like had her mother's funeral at that point too mm-hmm. um and and she was doing what I feel like I feel like even though we weren't supposed to probably a good number of us did where where we we didn't um, we didn't uh, follow court quarantine guidelines completely strictly <laughs> I'm not saying I did it but um, but like. <laughs> Uh, but you know, like it's when you, I, I, you know, in this story, probably she had gotten to that point where she was like, well, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And with the, the the grief that she was experiencing anyways, um, I guess that kind of makes sense. But like, like just, just feeling the, um, the desperation or not the desperation, the, the despair in, in situation at that point was, uh, was real, like it hit hard this time more so Mm -hmm. than, than back in like 2018. Um, and that was, that was really interesting to me just to like that, um, the author put that in for us to, Mm -hmm. to compare.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You definitely see the, the before and the after, you know, how much time has taken place and how much has changed. And it brings me to sort of the last, anecdote the longest one that she gives one woman much older than me and this is when it like if I teared up at all it was at this point because this one was so special in the sense that it was a short amount of time compared to some of the other interactions there was a whole marriage early on that only got Mm -hmm. maybe a paragraph yeah but this is a few weeks maybe at most we don't have an exact timeline but a short amount of time and this is the one that feels the most like a real relationship because there's there's conversation, there's, there's emotional intimacy, there's sharing of the past. We see time passing between the two of them. We see grief and loss. Like eventually that one woman dies of this plague and mm-hmm. she is having to pack up and move on again. And at that point, like that's when we've really seen that grief for one of these lovers firsthand. Yeah. And It just it gets to you at the end, and she starts making these lists. You know, she writes, "There's no time to mourn. You're you're running out. You you can't even take the time to mourn these relationships. You're trying to like see if you're still alive, if you're still worthy of living, if your fate hasn't been sealed yet. She's always checking her eyes and things like that. And at the end, there's the kicker. Next week, I will be thirty. She is not even thirty years old, Mm -hmm. and this is the stock she's had to take of our lives. And I I don't have anything really astute to say, or it just broke my heart.
1: Yeah. It's, it's also like, it feels like, and I I think the reason why this was probably much longer, not only was it the most recent, but it also might be the last one because Mm -hmm. we don't, we don't actually know if the narrator has been infected. Yeah. But, um, but like she has basically quarantined herself on this little island and she can still see the last like the last connection she's ever had through through the cottage um but like she is well and truly alone and yeah. doesn't know if like she it like like the the line about her birthday it's like the kicker is like she might not know in a week that it's her birthday yeah. like we don't necessarily know what these um what the symptoms are mm-hmm. of of this of this disease but like yeah. because because it felt very zombie like and and with with the eyes and this and like the skin being purple and all of that yeah um like it, it's like the disease forces you to lose your humanity and like yeah. lose yourself in a way and yeah. it and it feels like like not only is she um taking precautions to quarantine and do do the thing that she is like supposed to do but she's also just taking stock of her humanity at the end and just making all of these lists um yeah i don't remember where i was going with that Uh, (laughs) but um this is what happens when you put two english majors together we talk and then we um we lose our points along the way (laughs) yeah
0: No, because I, you brought up a good point and we think about, you know, we don't know if she's been infected. And one thing that occurred to me about this is obviously you can look at your face in a mirror and see signs, but like barring that, this is very much a pandemic that requires someone else to see the signs of it in you. Mm-hmm. Like she's looking at other people's eyes, you know, and if there's no one there to look and see if you're infected, like, do you truly have an awareness, you know? Yeah, is this disease really brewing in you if there's no one, it's, it's that if the tree falls in the forest and no one here, it's that on like a much larger, more
1: mm-hmm.
0: scary scale, so to speak. And you, you wonder like, yeah, if you're the only one left, what's the significance of your life? You know, what's the significance of what we have now without human connection?
1: Yeah. And,
0: Oh gosh, this, this was so good. Like this story was so good. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. I like, I, yeah, I just, I can't believe I forgot about it until I watched don't look up. Um, mm. cause the ending of that movie, if you haven't seen it, um, I'm about to spoil it. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, like, you know, they all, the world ends, they all die. The comet hits the earth. Um, Cause you know, it's, people are stupid. Um, and, uh, and the, like the last scene before, before it hits is like all of like the characters that you've come, that you've followed throughout the movie are eating dinner and they mm-hmm. like, they are just talking about the most mundane shit. Um, like it's just any other dinner, even though they all know that this is, these are like the last conversations they are ever going to have. And like, these are also some of the last conversations humanity may ever have. Mm, yeah. Um and it was just like the movie is ridiculous, but like that that scene was just like like that scene reminded me of how i felt when i read this. Yeah. Um and j- just like the the longing that humans have of like wanting to persist and to to like to let people know that they were once here. Um and that's what that's what this this list felt like that's what inventory felt like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, you think like the virus is coming for you and your thought is to list all your preschool teachers and do these mundane things. And you can think from the outside looking in, is that really what you want to spend your last moments doing? But in reality, what would any of us spend our last moments doing? Like no one is really not only our last moments, but a collective last moments, you know, Mm -hmm. all caps like, yeah. None of us are really prepared to do what, do anything with that. You think it would be something deeply significant, but I think keeping it to the mundane is the most realistic
1: mm-hmm. outcome. I think it's the most human outcome that you mm-hmm. can that you can do is just remember what living is like in the last moments where you know that like this is it.
0: Yeah. Uh, so apologies, everyone. You know, this, this story, last month's short story book club episode was just like a fun essay about making friends of <laughs> adults. And like, this one is about, oh no, the world is ending and everyone Mortality. is dying and we are sad. Um, <laughs> but yeah. uh, have you read the whole collection? I
1: haven't. Um, I, yeah, I, I think I honestly, I think I should, I'm trying to get into writing more magical realism as mm-hmm. like a, a way to flex my muscles a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, I, I think I really just have to read more of it. So it's going to require some, um, some fun purchases. My wallet won't be too happy, but, um,
0: <laughs> but, yeah. or, you
1: know, a trip to the library. Libraries are free. They're great.
0: They Um, are lovely. Support your library. Yes. Yeah, I need to read the... I bought a copy of this collection as a birthday gift to myself just last month, and I've Mm -hmm. been looking at it. I'm like, I need to make time for it. You know, when you're a busy podcaster reading for shows, it's hard to read for fun, but I will make time. And I suppose that, you know, if you haven't read, if if we're looking for recommendations for further reading, the rest of that collection probably makes sense. But Uh seeing as I haven't read that myself, I wanted to offer kind of a different offbeat recommendation here. And this literally came to me. And the story I want to recommend for someone who might have enjoyed this is a story a friend recommended. And it is called The Barn at the End of Our Term by Karen Russell. And this is a story... About several United States presidents who have been reincarnated as horses. Okay, and you're wondering <laughs> what on earth. But I, when when this story was recommended to me, I was like, "What?" And I read this, and it also is a take on the on isolation, on connection, on being trapped in a world that you don't understand and are still trying to make turn come to terms with, it is deeply tragic. Um, also kind of funny. The story doesn't have a lot of humor in it, but the, the barn at the end of our term definitely does. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm also kind of a weird president geek. And so that appealed, but just the, the, the setting of this kind of mundane afterlife it kind mm-hmm. of felt like the mundane that we were focusing on here in inventory. And so that's kind of where my brain went. So that story also, I'll link it in the show notes. It's a it's a great story. You can find it online, the barn at the end of our term. Um, definitely off the beaten path and weird, but very, very interesting. I'll have to take a look at it. That sounds really cool. Yeah, it's like the weirdest idea, but it really <laughs> works. <laughs> awesome. And so, um, Raina, before we close out today... Um, I have to ask you, so you're, you're involved in theater. This is totally unrelated. You're, you're involved in theater. You Mm -hmm. write prose, you write, uh, you're involved in, in plays and in theater. What's a big difference for those of us who are not really aware of like the differences in, you know, playwriting versus like prose writing. What's, what's a big difference between those two crafts? Is that something you can speak to at all?
1: Yeah. Um, so, my so the way that I come up with stories, um, I'm very dialogue heavy, I think. And that and this was before I started writing plays. I wrote prose first. Um, but and I was always told that my dialogue was really good. and I was like, okay, cool, that sounds great. Um, <laughs> and the way, and the way that um, I would come up with characters would be I would hear I would hear conversations first. And then I would come up with these characters based on the conversations that they're having. So I feel like playwriting was playwriting and then, and then screenwriting, which is what I'm trying to get into now um, is uh, they were, it was something that I guess was bound to happen. um, But with prose and like, and just fiction writing, writing for things that aren't performance really um, except poetry. I can't really speak on that um, Mm -hmm. is uh, you have to tell your audience everything. Like you are in charge Mm. of absolutely everything going on um, so that your reader can visualize what they need to see. And that's all Mm. on you, Um, which is great because one, you have full creative control, um, but it also sucks because, especially for someone like me who looks at dialogue and characters first and then kind of has to expand outwards, um I have many first drafts that like look like they're scripts and not Ooh. actual prose and then I'll have people be like, but like what's going on around them? Like <laughs> I don't like I don't know what they're wearing, I don't know what's going on like like where are they? And I'm to be like, oh right, yeah, um that that is also my job um <laughs> in playwriting and screenwriting um the, Screenwriting as a format is is very interesting and very structured, especially if you were trying to write to break into the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. Um, each sort of type of TV show, like comedy, drama, dramedy, um, they all have – and procedurals, they all have uh, very set strict structures that you mm-hmm. have to follow, which is great because you don't – like the beats are all there, so you kind of just have to fill things in with what your story is. Mm-hmm. Um, and also kind of, it's also kind of restrictive, mm-hmm. um, because of that. Um, and with playwriting, you get the freedom of you get the same kind of freedom you have when you're writing prose fiction. Um, because, uh, whatever, whatever you put on stage is limited, is, is only limited to what you can put on stage. Um, and a lot of people, I think, feel like that's super restrictive because you're literally like, it's like, here's a rectangle. This is all you have. Um, mm. But but it sometimes there's a lot more freedom in that than there is in TV and film. Um, yeah. But the thing that I find most different between writing fiction prose and then writing scripts is their screenwriting and playwriting is definitely more of a collaborative process. Um, like, even, like, even as a playwright, if you're writing something on your own, there are so many resources that you can, that you can look for, um, like writers groups at different, um, at different theaters, the, um, the theater company that I'm a part of, Imaginarium, has a writer's group, like, two writer's groups a year, um, and you can, like, it, it's, it's very much a, like, you, you know what's good and what isn't good after you've heard it out loud. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, you're writing for performance. So then once, once you have a finished written product, then it's not your job to worry about how the stage is going to look, how to direct people, who these actors are going to be, what sort of sound and lighting is, is Mm -hmm. helping create the story. And the same with, um, with screenwriting for film and TV, that's, you have a whole you have a whole team that's going to help bring your story to life and add their own influences to it. So it's like, I don't know. I think, I think it's like, it's simultaneously more work and less work to write a screenplay (laughs) or, 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 or a stage play because it's a different kind of work. Yeah. It's, it is a different kind of work and you're, you're flexing and exercising different muscles with that. Um, And I truly don't know if I answered your question. I think I just kind of
0: rambled, but- (laughs) You totally did. And you definitely told me that I probably could not write a script or a play because I hate writing dialogue. Like all my stories, I've been like (laughs) working on my novel and I'm like, nobody is talking to each other. Like they're all just like imagining words that they would say and like nobody's actually saying anything because I hate writing dialogue. You know what I think the solution to that is, is I think we should co-write a book (laughs) <laughs> I love it. All right, everybody, let me know, um, sort of in comments or what have you, reviews. If you want Raina and I to co-write something, because
1: we'll we figure need something,
0: something out. Yeah, <laughs> well, we can learn from each other. I love it. If you enjoyed that episode, please let us know about it. We're on all your major podcast platforms: Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. And there's always a way to rate and review. It's truly appreciated. If you'd like to follow the show, um, we are at Instagram and Twitter at YFB Podcast. We have new episodes every Thursday. Next week, we'll be getting back to our regularly scheduled interview episodes about all-time favorite books, hence the name of the show. So stay tuned for that. Other than that, happy reading and get some rest, everybody. I think we all need it. <music>